0: Welcome to the afternoon show where we have no gimmicks or haggling and each show now comes with a 30-day guarantee, (laughs) meaning this episode should be up on the website for at least 30 days from now. So we've got uh, our Wednesday 5 o'clock, you know, that means it's time for our prayer series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are in studio. Peter, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Always fun to be here. Yeah, today's going to be extra fun and I say extra fun because we have extra special guests and... they are no stranger to faith radio.
1: They are absolutely no stranger to faith radio, and I think after last week's uh, episode as well, that you I know, love it's...
0: saying s- stupid things. Right.
1: right. <laughs> well, that worked out well today. No. So yeah, no, the, you know, not at all strangers. And I think after last week's episode with Marcus, uh, that was so interesting, where you just threw out the question right at the beginning to our listeners, and boy, did we have response yeah, about the amazing. idea of do you pray or not pray with your with your spouse? And there was quite the range of responses and a really an outpouring of questions that came out of that. And so. Not only do we have sort of radio royalty with us here today, but... We have radio royalty. We do have yes. royalty, but we also have husband and wife on part of this deal, too, to kind of follow from last week a little bit.
0: Yes. And I guess, of course, our Susie Larson and her husband, Kevin. Welcome to both of you.
2: Good to be with you. Thanks for having with. us. Yeah.
0: Thanks, guys. Well, one of the things about prayer, which we love, is we never have to be anxious that God is not listening.
2: This is absolutely true, but I think at times uh, you wonder if he, you know, I, I'll tell you in my early years um, of marriage and kind of still new in the faith, I really thought he lost my address a few times mm. um, because you do go through times where he seems silent, but I always say don't confuse his silence with his absence because he's, if you you just wonder about that, read Psalm 139. That He's yep. so intimately acquainted with all of your ways. He knows what you're going to say even before you say it, and he's thinking about you constantly. So I think, Uh, Peter and Bill, we need to remind our souls how intimately involved he is. So if he seems absent, he's not. He might be quiet because our roots need to go down deeper into his love, but he's always involved.
0: Well, let's start, Susie and Kevin, with the power of an answered prayer. I know you've got a spectacular story you can share about your son. I'd love to hear it.
2: Yeah, so, um, and Kev will jump in here and kind of add to it as, but I'll just sort of set it up. But some of you know a little bit of my backstory, but in early years in marriage, we had two high-risk pregnancies. So our middle son, we were on bed rest for um, three, I was on bed rest for three months and um, I had a let's see i had, one, had a one-year-old then and, had, and so this pregnancy i was a traumatic delivery and luke had chronic respiratory issues when he was about 15 months old we almost lost him we were, he was in the hospital with a respiratory virus and they literally said his heart may not make it another 24 hours so it was really a painful thing we got him home and i found out i was pregnant with number three and within three months i had to go to bed rest for six months so i had a one and a three-year-old Uh, You know, the heavens seem silent during this time, and it really, you know, it's so hard to be in debt to everybody because we had to call in all of our friend favors with a one- and a three-year-old, and I'm in bed for six months. You jump ahead. Uh, around the time Jordan was born, RSV was an epidemic. And so we, they, the doctor said Luke's lungs were so traumatized just nine months ago. Don't let anybody come visit you that has any kind of respiratory virus because your baby may catch it, and Luke will be at risk. Well, someone came to visit us whose baby was sick, and within a few days, Luke was in kind of a, a respiratory stress. And they would have admitted him, but they didn't because it's an airborne virus. So they, we had him down in a... In a um, Playpen. Now, you keep in mind, I, I was unknowingly bit by the deer tick during this bed rest with my son. So I got up one day. By nighttime, I was back in bed. Two weeks from that outing, my face started to go numb. So I had all these neurological symptoms going on in my body. It's still at this point. Didn't know what was wrong with me, but I did feel like God lost my address. He seemed so quiet. So just imagine six months in bed. I'm counting the days to be the mom again. And we finally uh, deliver Jordan and then someone visits us. And so Luke is sick and they're like, don't come to the hospital until you absolutely need to. So I had this little split entry and I would go down and I'd do drainage on Luke's lungs, disinfect my hands and go nurse the baby back and forth all day, all night, never slept more than two hours at a time. So the symptoms were going crazy in my body. After four weeks, uh, Jordan, our little baby, ended up with a double pneumonia and ended up two doors down from where Luke was. So here's the miracle. I'm sitting in this hospital room, exhausted. My body is not right, and I knew it, but I was terrified at the thought of what it could be and i i was just i couldn't believe that this was happening and so and, and oh and let me just back up the night before we had our our life group over and i thought you know god's not speaking to me but he's clearly speaking to all of you would you pray for our little baby so they played worship songs they laid their little hands on this little car carrier this four week old baby and we could feel the presence of god and i thought surely we're on the verge of a miracle but the next morning, I go to get him out of his crib, and his lips are blue, and he's struggling with coughing. So we have to admit him, two doors down from where Luke was. I'm sitting next to his little crib, overwhelmed with exhaustion, just couldn't believe this was happening. And suddenly, I was just overcome by this joy, and I it, it couldn't explain it. But I wrote in my journal, Lord, I'm either losing my mind or you're, about, you're doing something. Here, and I'll just take it. So you jump ahead. A year later, I find out I have Lyme disease, and I've got home health care, and then, uh, she's hooking me up to IV, which is hooked to my mini blinds. Jordan's a year old. He runs like Speedy Gonzalez into the living room in his little diaper, just running so fast, and the nurse says, what is he doing alive? I said, what do you mean? And she said, I have two other patients that I'm caring for that just like you were bit by the deer tick around six months like you. We determined by based on your symptoms went a year undiagnosed, just like you, both babies went blind and died. Why is he still alive? And I'm like, I don't know. And she said, was he sick? And I said, yeah, four weeks old. She said, what did they use and what happened? I said, they put him on an IV for a week. She said that medicine healed him of Lyme before you even knew you had it. And I literally—my knees buckled underneath me because I I was shaking my fist at God. I was going, why am I a have-not? Where are you, God? And to think that, you know, he said no when our small group prayed to an immediate relief, you know, so he could say yes to Jordan's life. I mean, it really— Changed everything for me, and I, Kevin. I don't know if you want to speak into that more.
3: Yeah, it's just amazing to even tell that story again and to hear it uh, firsthand because we, uh, when we lived through it, but it was traumatic for us because that time with with Luke in the hospital, we literally were preparing not to bring him home. That's how they were talking to us, and then that time when our uh, small group uh, prayed for Jordan, at that time, at that time, we all felt like there was a miracle happening in the room. I mean, we really felt like this is something amazing happening. And then he got sicker, so it would have been so easy at that time to say, "Wow, I guess we don 't really feel things correctly or we didn 't know what was going on, but the next day is when the real miracle really happened. But it is amazing to recount these things sometimes and to remember what God has done. We got a few of these like like the stories like this in our in our history, but it 's amazing to recount them and to see how God has worked it brings it." new level of seeing God's faithfulness in her life. And how did you guys sustain your
1: faith when, when it did seem like God was absent? And and just, I suppose, two questions, actually. Sustain both your faith in God, but also to just sustain the day when it, when it doesn't seem like God is carrying you along and, and the grind and the trauma of what you're dealing with. What what was that season like?
2: It was, for me, army crawling through the valley because, you know, I was a young mom with this wretched Lyme disease that was wiping out my short-term memory, took all my strength, and I had three little boys who were parties waiting to happen. And I basically had used up all my friend favors. So after six months of different people bringing meals and watching kids, I was sort of on my own in many ways. So I was on the floor with the kids. And so but I never stopped crying out to God. I just never stopped. And I remember, there were a couple of moments where I felt like he sort of broke his silence. I didn't know he was preparing me for something and preparing us. But one of them was in the middle of the night, i had been begging God every night, please heal me if not for me, so that I can raise these boys. Where are you? God, please heal me. And again, every night, it just feel like the heavens were silent. But one night, I just heard the impression of God in my heart so clear. And he said, Susie, would you praise me if I healed you? I said, you wouldn't be able to shut me up. You know, I'll <laughs> yeah. praise you till the cows come home. And he said, why is that? Would you praise me uh, because I sent my one and only son to die for you and I'm God and I'm worthy to be praised or, or because you got your way? And here, I, I'm a young mom and it was like my reel, the movie reel went before my eyes. And I realized because I still, I, I, you know, I knew I was saved, but I didn't know I was loved. And when you don't know you're loved, you misuse your time, treasure, and talents trying to prove something Jesus has already proven. So to have that taken from me first for bed rest and then sickness, I was a canyon of insecurity. And, and truly, at that moment, I realized so much of what i have been doing up to that point was to rescue my sense of self-worth. And I literally rolled out of bed and repented and said, oh, God, you were my Savior up to this point, but now you're my Lord, your will, your way, on your terms. And that was a Lordship moment. You know, and I even said, if you don't rescue me from this, I'll hate it. I don't want this, but I've been bought with the price. So that was one moment. Another moment when it was I was sitting on the floor with my little guys and just trying to get through the day. And a woman from my church called, and she said, "I've been hearing all the chatter about you, and because some were gossiping about me, and others were feeling sorry for me." And and she said, "I want to know for myself what has God up to with His family." And I brought your case before the Lord. She said, and you listened to me. She said, Susie, God has shown me that he's building a platform with your pain that you're going to speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can because you're going to have a story to tell. And it was like a truth bomb dropped into my soul. I knew it was true, and I needed that because I actually got much worse before I got better. But it was like it was too late. You know, the the enemy had lost some hold on me. And in that moment after we hung up, the Lord whispered in my heart, Susie, are you a believer just because you've secured your eternity or do you actually believe this stuff? I mean, do you, when are you going to turn your back on fear and worry and start shifting your way down to the promises? And that, Peter, was when I felt like I became a warrior. That's when my prayers took on a more, you know, I, instead of playing not to lose, I started to play to win. I'm like, oh, no, you don't, devil. <laughs> I've already heard from God now, and I know there's a life ahead of me, plans to prosper, not to harm me. And that's when I started to contend for some of the promises.
0: Oh, fantastic. All right, we're going to take a little break. We are in our prayer series, and our special guests are Susie Larson and her husband Kevin. We'll take a very short break and be right back. So we're doing our prayer series. Peter Kapsner and I are very excited to be talking to Susie Larson and her husband, Kevin. (coughs) Peter, you had a great question during the
1: break. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit, uh, Bill, about the idea, and now Susie and and Kevin, too. Kevin, you talked about telling the story again, and just the the, I'm assuming the flood of memories that it brings up, but I would imagine among the things it brings up is just a reminder of God's faithfulness. So it reminded me of the idea of the Ebenezer Stone, right, where when God is faithful in one moment in the present, you sort of make a physical memorial of some kind or just some way to remember his faithfulness as it has been, because so often, I don't know how it is for you two, but God has been faithful in ways in my life, and then how quickly I forget and then I get into something else and now I'm mad and I'm frustrated and God is absent. And, and just having those Ebenezer stones or telling the stories again or something along those lines somehow restores our faith.
3: Yeah, that's so true. It's been so true for us when we look back and it's it's good for us to recount these things. There's been so many times in our life where, you know, some of the, some of the stories in the Bible, like, you know, when the Israelites are crossing through their uh, journey, you know, God, God tells them to stop and build an up build an altar of remembrance. These are times when we look back on our life and these were not necessarily for us, but they're for future generations, for the people that are coming up behind us that they would always remember through our history. You know, sometimes the the miracles that God does in our life are for not there for us, but they're also for our kids and for our grandkids and future generations to see. So it's good. It's really important and good, I think, to tell these stories.
0: I'm curious what your prayer life is like together.
2: Wild and crazy, let me tell you that. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah, it is. We uh we spend a uh, pretty significant of time in the morning and at night. We kind of we like to bookend our days nice. with prayer together as a couple. Mm-hmm.
2: And I'll add to that, you know, we uh, were pretty honest about the low point in our marriage about 18 years ago, where my dear hubby was a workaholic, and I'd sort of lost that love and feeling after a while. And we were really in a rough spot. And he spent time with God in the morning, I spent ample time with God in the morning. But when we kind of came back together and talked about what are the big rocks, well, that was going to be one that non-negotiable, we're going to have our time in the morning, and then we're going to come together. And you guys, the fruit that has come out of that time, mm-hmm. It it is the best thing about our marriage. I will tell you, our prayer life is the wildest, craziest, most (laughs) awesome part of our marriage because it's sort of the dream center. We come together, we pray for the nations, we pray for the persecuted, we pray for our kids and grandkids, and then we ask God, what impossible thing do you want to do in and through us? We're constantly asking him that question, and he gives us these little glimpses of take this next step, or here's a picture, I want you to go after this, you know, or help these people, and it has become the adventure of our life, and I'm 100% convinced if you want a revival in your marriage, start praying together. There is nothing like it.
0: We talked about that last week a little bit, Susie and Kevin, and we had incredible responses. The question I threw out to listeners was, do you pray with your spouse? or do you not pray? And I think there was about 18 or 20 that said, I pray, and about 14 or 16 that said, I don't. So it was a, it was a very interesting uh, revelation, because I assume I'm speaking to a Christian audience, and there's a big percentage of Christian couples that are not praying together.
2: You know, that's, that's not surprising, because that's kind of along the lines of what I've heard before. And Kevin always says, for guys, if I don't have a path to a win— I'm probably not going to try just because that's just how we're wired That You guys are wired, so to speak. And, and I've heard from women who say my husband is terrified of praying because he sees me as a spiritual leader. And, and so what I tell women is, you know, first of all, build them up and bless them and, and, don't expect perfection. But if he's just not ready for that, put your hand on his shoulder before he goes out the door and just say, God, thank you for this mighty man of faith. Thank you for his work ethic. Thank you for that he gets up and goes out every day. Help him to sense your love. I mean, where his ears hear your mouth just declare that fatherly affection over him. Because if he's constantly feeling that nagging feeling from you as a wife and from his inner critic, he'll never get started. But you know, you start small and when you start to see the fruit of it, you'll start to say, Something else has to go, but this is going to stay. This is a, a mainstay for our relationship.
0: I mean, that was part prayer and really a part blessing, wasn't it, Susie?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Bill says that to me after
1: we leave the studio every night, too. So it was a very familiar (laughs) prayer for me, Susie. (laughs) No, I would just think, you know, that is such a great invitation because people really were struggling with it last week. And and even just the idea of getting started. So you talk about the wild and crazy prayer life that you have now. But I'm guessing that when you did put that line in the sand and said, hey, to rebuild our marriage, this is a non-negotiable. But I, I would assume even in those first steps, it was pretty awkward to try to jump into that.
2: It was because we had stuff to work out. I mean, there was a lack of trust on my part, uh, just with the the years of workaholism, and uh, I had to keep bringing myself before God, going, "I've been forgiven, and I'm going to walk in a purity of heart towards my dear husband." And he had to not come under condemnation and and really just step in and go, "This God has put me in this position." So it was a little bumpy at first, but we still saw the fruit. And I'm telling you, when you draw near to God. He draws near to you. And in the prayer life, even the delays and all of that, it changes you as you're contending. For the promises of God, you are changed in the process. So even the process is just so important and so powerful. And I often say, you know, if you don't get certain answers in this life, it's because the answer is so glorious, you're going to see it in the next life, because God hears us when we pray, and he's a good father. And I just say, as we, the more we draw near, especially as a couple, the more the kingdom of God, we start to see it come and his will be done.
0: Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk, Susie and Kevin, a little bit about prayers that are in a delayed mode, or prayers that were just uh, denied, because that can be a, a trouble spot for a lot of believers.
3: Yeah, agreed. There's there's times in my life. You know, we started talking about some of our uh, the some of the just the miracle stories that we want to recount and re- recapture that feeling at sometimes. But you know, some of the most powerful times in my life are the times where God is doing some correction and God is mm. is teaching me some things. And sometimes that happens over time. It's not a You know, it's not a miracle zap, you're different now. Sometimes it takes a while for him to not only get my attention, but also uh, just to work the things out of me that need to get worked out. But God always wants the best for us. You know, he wants our best and he 's he 's looking for our character and our high integrity and a person that follows him closely enough to be able to listen for long enough to have him explain the things that he wants to do in our lives so i don 't know what it is about us guys sometimes where we have we 're a little bit blockheaded I think sometimes <laughs> where we just uh, sometimes things take a long time, and you know I would say some of the prayers that we 've that i 've prayed that have taken a long time feels like the things where he 's really trying to work something out of me. And when you finally understand and you get it, it's like that's amazing, God, the thing that you just taught me. And it took a uh, ten, only ten years to do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, oh, go ahead, ahead. Susie. Please. I was gonna say, well, you know, for me, the the delay versus the immediate. You've, I've told the story on your show before, but our son Jordan, again that boy of ours, um, he had a serious back injury in, in high school football. He took a late hit, and it blew out uh, the disc that was pressing on three sets of nerves. And at 17 years old, he could barely walk. And they were telling us he'd be partially disabled, and probably at 17 years old would lose control of his bowels. So it was mm. a bad wow. injury. It was such a bummer. And you know, I've struggled, you know, with chronic health stuff my whole adult life. And I've come a long way. But over the course of two days, while Jordan was just inching through life, I uh, had heard two stories of miraculous healings of this exact injury. And I remember the day I ran downstairs, he was sitting next to his dad watching TV, but he was just sort of staring through the TV. He was so depressed. And I scooped up his hand and I said, honey, you know, I've struggled and you've watched me contend for my health. And it's been inch by inch. But I heard two stories of healing, I believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What if we just err on the side of faith and just believe for a miracle for you? Are you with me? And he said, I am. So the next morning, I'm out on the deck having a quiet time. He came and scooped up my hand. Jesus, thank you for my miracle. Thank you for healing me. And then he got up and he shuffled out the door and I said, where are you going? I'm going to football uh, training in the summer. Now, he could not even lift a book. He was he couldn't. What he did on the on the running days was he got on the elliptical and his arms shook, and he did the senior citizen level <laughs> warm-up for two or three minutes, like holding himself so his feet barely moved. And his buddies were like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, see you tomorrow. Next morning, he'd scoop my hand. Thank you for my miracle. Thank you for healing me. He'd go out the door. He'd literally be gone 10 minutes because he would go there. And on the wait days, he'd sit on the, the bicep curl machine, you know what I mean? So your elbow is propped so there was no pressure on his back. He would do just a few, and he'd be sweating, and he'd come home just from the pain. Every day he did that. And finally one night, um, he was going to go to youth group, but he wasn't feeling up for it. And I said, I'll never force you to do that, honey. You've been through a lot. But oftentimes when we don't want to go is when we need to go. And you just pray and you decide. Well, he decided to go, and a long story short, a student— Prayed for him, and he was miraculously healed. Miraculously, like medical miracle, like he came, he busted in our door in our bedroom, mom, dad, and he's touching his toes and kicking up his leg, and I'm jumped up and down on the bed, and I'm jumped to the floor and wrapped my arms around his knees, buried my face in his legs and wept. And the next morning, he was out with the football team, sprinting with them because he was a pretty fast runner. And it took, you know, these guys a couple minutes to figure out <laughs> what, because he's like keeping up with them too, and they all stopped and went, Jordan. What, Jordan? And he had a captive audience because he'd been there every day, five minutes a day. The whole team and the coaches, they're like, what happened? And he said, God healed me last night. He had a captive audience to declare the miracles, the coaches, everybody. And uh, I haven't gotten that kind of immediate miracle but for some reason, God saw fit to do that for him, and he's the same yesterday, today, forever. So I'm just going to say, as long as I have breath, I'm believing for miracles. But I'm going to trust Him when I don't get them.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's spectacular! Incredible! Wow, what an amazing, amazing story. Yeah, that really is. I mean, yeah, what a testimony too. Well, and and we've had a
1: chance to talk to Craig Keener a few different times, and he he writes about miracles, right? It's one of those things that we just keep thinking, gosh, it would be so great to have these tangible responses like that. So to have the story is phenomenal.
0: Yeah. Susie and Kevin Larson are our guests. We're in our prayer series, so we'll take a little break and we come back. We'll have lots more. For dinner Susan and Kevin what, do, what are you guys having tonight I'm curious. curious I'm just still soaring
2: question. over the fact that you got a song I I'm cannot even too. believe it no it's great
3: <laughs> no but seriously what is for dinner yeah, what yeah. Is for
2: dinner? Uh, well it's you're not going to be too excited about but they're veggie it? burgers veggie burgers veggie with burgers? some avocado oh mm-hmm. boy sorry yeah, Kevin I'm sorry I know, <laughs> I know. like I said Sometimes it's going to happen to my to, world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to throw
0: out a word here. How do you pray about finances? Wow, that's a good question.
3: You know, we uh, we've been through our share of ups and downs, like Susie shared a little bit. The first part of our marriage, we really we had some struggles. So the prayers for provision were. Uh, Very heartfelt, (laughs) you know. We wanted, uh, we needed some, uh, some help. Not only from, you know, not only from uh, God, but from friends. You know, we we really they were they were real prayers that we were. You get into these places where you're desperate, and and that's where we were. So we we kind of learned some of our uh, prayer rhythms in a place of desperation. You know, and people are there sometimes where they just need you really need God to come through, and so that's where we started in the early part of our marriage. Uh, eventually, uh, we really, there's a, kind of a story that goes behind this, but we got to a place where we uh, kind of re- committed ourselves to tithing and to giving and to being generous, uh, even when we didn't feel like we could do it. And uh, we just felt like this is obedience. This is what we have to do, and God's talking to us about this, both of us. So we decided to do that. And I'm telling you, after that, uh, everything changed in our finances when we started us following. God's principles and doing what God asks us to do, uh, we saw, like Susieau says, the enemy's plans for our finances fell apart, and we saw God's provision come through, and it was really out of walking in obedience. So,
2: and just to be clear, Amen, Kev, it's not a prosperity theology at all, right. but we were hit and miss tithers because of fear. Our finances were upside down. We had hardly anything. But as believers, we're not supposed to do anything by fear. It's never a good motivator. And things were such a mess. We'd made a good mess. And my health issues, uh, we, you know, couldn't get around that. We, just, we had $27,000 of medical debt you know, uh, 30 years ago or so. so that was a lot There's of money lot back, back then. then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot now. And uh, there was a point where the Lord really confronted us and convicted us because, we, you know, we were praying and, and he said, I want the tithe. And we repented. We just said, Lord, forgive us for our fear. And I thought he would be so proud of that. And, he, and, and then he said, I want offerings too. And I'm like, Lord, we only have a box and a half of cereal in our cupboard. And that's just true. And he said, well, your neighbor has none, so give them some of yours. I don't want you to think for a moment that even in a tough season that you're, you stop being a flow-through account. And my blessing, there's always somebody who needs something, and we have to have the mindset. You know, he can't fill clenched fists. He fills open hands And because we do get into self-protection. We get into fear when we think, I have to control it. I can trust God with my eternity. I just can't trust him with my finances. So obviously, you know me, Bill you know, us, we're extremely passionate about generosity in the body of Christ because we have watched what it's done as you become generous sowers. And so back then it was how we prayed was repentance. After that, we said, show us where next, show us where next, show us where next. And he continues to raise the bar and challenge us in ways. I always say that faith always brings on a little bit of nausea, but, um, (laughs) <laughs> just trust in God, but it is a powerful thing, and I, I just dream of the day when there's a revival of generosity in the body of Christ.
0: And Susie, I've seen your footprint grow so exponentially over the years, so it's been amazing to see the way in which God has broadened your um, audience and your, your listeners just completely— Love you, and they love your books, and they love everything about you. So it's, mm-hmm. it's been really, really fun to watch.
2: Well, I to say the same about you, my dear brother. I don't know if they'd say that yeah. about Folks me. But yeah, I think we should true. change
0: it to Susie Radio instead I was of Sister Radio. radio. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I work at Susie Radio. <laughs>
2: right. You're silly. No, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm. I just remember I was the poster child for. You know, he chooses the things that are not to nullify the things that are. I know that's. Still true about yeah. me that if but for the grace of God, but what blows me away more is what I was destined for, if not for God, and even our marriage, what it would have been dest- destined for, if yeah. not for repentance, if not for humility, if not for teachability. And I guess I, that's one of the things that needs to come out of this. This is just not name it, claim it, grab a promise and. Mm-hmm. Stand on it. It is, are you willing to be transformed into the image of Christ through your desires, through your hopes, your dreams, your battles? Because prayer is dialogue with God. It's engaging with the Father who loves you, and then you trust His timing. You accept His correction and His direction. And all of that, all the nuances of this faith journey, while we're actively praying and believing that God is good all the time, we are changed in the process. And that is, to me, the greater miracle.
0: hmm How do you pray for wayward kids and grandkids? I'm not saying your kids are wayward. I'm just saying, you know, a lot of people and most people have a story of a prodigal in their family. So how do you to pray for these kids and these grandkids that might be, uh, have wandered off, drifted off, they're away from their faith?
2: We have three sons, and two of them wandered at the same time. One wandered because of a very serious church hurt, which was legitimate. It was painful. Mm-hmm. He says he never left Jesus, but he's seriously struggled with the institution of the church, especially the big mega church kind of feel. And, you know, he's a smart kid and a tender kid, so his wrestle was real. Um, but it was so painful for me. And Jordan, our dear son who had the miracle, it's like it changed his life, but it didn't change his character. He just wandered into the ways of partying with his uh, high school friends and um, after high school and broke my living heart. And uh, so I let me tell you what. I'll tell you what's what. <laughs> <laughs> this I pray. is where the
3: mama bear prayers <laughs> come kind of on. That.
2: If you want to read about my prayers, if, if you've got a prodigal, maybe text the word BOOK to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and i and I'll throw a few of my uh, books, uh, Your Powerful Prayers in the Hopper, because, I mean, that's one of the things that took my prayer life to a whole new level. I'm like, oh, no, you don't, devil. You cannot have my sons. And to see how God used them, used other people to bring them back to himself, um, I'm changed after that battle. And I do remember the day the Lord whispered in my heart, Susie, you can't have the platform that you do. And think for a moment that A plus B always equals C. You know, there are lots of parents who do right, who don 't get right and and so to think for a moment well you missed a step is just to me the cruelest of theology, because even God has wandering kids right, and uh, but I say we pray from that place of identity. You remember who you are, because we tend to take too much credit and too much blame for our kids. So you remember who you are, and then you go before the throne of the Most High God, and you remember who He is, and you pray from that place. And I'm telling you, uh, He answers the prayers of His people, and He moves in ways we can't imagine.
1: So for the, for the people, too, that maybe is you're on that journey and God has not answered that prayer, uh, how do you stay with it? How do you stay with them when there's just no evidence that your prayer is making any difference at all?
2: Well, I think it's just similar to the health challenge. It's different. It's a different heartbreak. But I, uh, you have my Dr. Troy on once a month, and he says to people who deal with chronic illness, sometimes you have to quit fighting for a while because you're so exhausted from the battle hmm. where you just pause and you be and you do what you can. But that kind of hyped up, engaged, uh, this thing is going down. And I think that's really true. Uh, for the prodigal prayer, because there's times where your heart and soul are just weary. And so you contact some friends and say, would you take this up for me? I need to rest a while. And I do want to tell you, there was a story of a young man that was on my show years ago, who uh, had gone deep into some deep, dark stuff. And his mom was just terrified and horrified by it all. And she had so much fear that she started to just try to pull him back by herself, in which case he was digging his heels in deeper. And it was like, he was just planting himself in the darkness. And so finally, the Lord spoke to her and said, I've got him more than you do. I want you to cultivate intimacy with me. And so she just started to let go and let him let God have him. And she said, I got to get the joy of my salvation back. So she just immersed herself in the word and in prayer. And he said, I watched the joy just on her countenance come back. And he goes, I was living in darkness. And when I would come to her house, I would cross over into light and see the light. I would feel the peace coming off of her, and then I would step back into darkness. And he said, over time, the contrast became so stark that one day he sat up in his bed after a night of partying, and he's like, "I don't want this anymore." And he returned, and now he's in ministry and he's mobilizer, you know. So I, I feel like you know, when you're weary in well doing, you know, maybe ask a few people, "Will you take up this mantle of prayer?" I just I've got to turn him over, and I got to start focusing on getting my soul restored and getting my joy back. And, you know, God is on a hunt. He's the hound of heaven. So you letting go doesn't mean he's taking his hands off the wheel. He's after it.
0: Yeah, it's powerful,
1: Susie. It is powerful because it isn't easy to, you know, this. It, it's a grind day in and day out. And yet God does remain faithful. And, and I want to go back to something you said, I think, right at the top of this episode, that And you both have alluded to it, that in those times of absence, it seems like God is growing. Kevin, I think you used the word character. And Susie, you talked the word about yeah, roots of love growing deep. And, and I would imagine that in those seasons where we do love to talk about the outcomes and our stories and, and praise God for the miracles when they happen. But, but I would think that the character that was developed and the roots that grew deep are also just in many ways, in different ways, as meaningful as the miracle itself.
3: Yeah, I'll say, you know, some of the most important parts of our prayer life are the times maybe you're not even praying, you're just spending time in God's presence, you mm. know, and that's what we spend a good par- a good portion of our morning, either we have worship music on, you know, and it, and it is kind of just praying and responding, listening to what God is saying, but that time we find ourselves in God's presence is so valuable and important because otherwise we can kind of get derailed and get off track, and some of the things that God is trying to teach us, we don't really hear unless we're pausing to listen you know
2: yeah, you know, and I want to say, you know, Psalm 18, it talks about, I mean, you want to know how God feels about uh, when his children are oppressed, when the enemy's coming in like a flood. Look at Psalm 18, because, you know, it's like the enemy attacked me at my moment when I was weakness, weakest, when he was too strong for me, and God became my rescue. He parted the clouds. He came down, rescued me. And he put me in a spacious place. But later, once he heals your soul, then it says, he strengthens my arms to bend a bow of bronze. He trains my hands for battle. He gives me high hinds feet to walk on high places. And what that speaks of, you guys, high places are uneven terrain, which requires agility. And you know this from athletics. You become agile by changing directions to the right, to the left, go back, go forward, and you change up directions and you get good at it and you train your body to do that. Well, this is warfare. And when we're interceding for our kids and the culture is trying to steal our kids, this, this is no Sunday afternoon contest. We are rising up. We're holding on to the promises and we're contending And the thing is, it changes you. And I often see so many spiritual laws written in our physical laws. So when you see a person who's engaged in fitness, there's a way to work out your muscles and it's in slow, small increments. And your body creates these new thresholds. So your new normal gets better and better and you get stronger and stronger over time. That's what our battles do. If we will engage them with faith, we become spiritually agile. We get arms that are strong enough to bend a bow of bronze. He teaches us how to stand on high places because we've had to react and respond and react and respond. And I just one last thing I'll say about that is every battle you face, every desire of your heart has eternal implications. And that how you steward it, if you don't see what you want in this life, it literally will echo into eternity. Every act prompted by your faith, hope, and love— echoes into eternity. The stuff that will burn up on the altar is anything that we did out of striving, trying to prove ourselves, grab for ourselves. This is why it's so important to see, you know, Lord, even in this battle, I'm not getting what I want right now, but my faith is precious to you and it will echo into eternity. I will see something on the other side that I can't even imagine because you say these light and momentary troubles, they're, they're small, they're short, they won't last long, but they're achieving for me in eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we got to keep our eye on the prize as we wrestle.
0: Mm-hmm. This is Bill Arnold sitting in for Kevin Larson, uh, who's eating... A, <laughs> I think it was a veggie burger, was it not? Who's eating veggie but burgers yes, with yeah, avocados yeah. tonight? He's not deprived,
2: <laughs> okay? Oh, He's no. not deprived.
0: Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, we're going to argue that yeah. one at yeah. <laughs> the top of the hour. We'll take a short break and be right back. We are back talking to Susie Larson and her husband, Kevin. I got a couple of questions. You can pick which one you want to talk I talk about. Uh, one is, do you have a prayer list of people who you love, who are lost? I'm not talking about the prodigal that maybe has wandered off, but these are people who are just um, agnostic, atheist. They want nothing to do with God. Do you have a list of those that you pray for, and how do you pray for them? Or the other question is, how do you hear God's voice? Somebody give you an option of which one you might want to. Answer. Those are good questions. They're okay.
3: <laughs> Those are, are okay. good questions. Yeah. You know, I was thinking when I uh, when I was young, uh, I used to pray this prayer, and you know, God bless my parents for teaching us to pray. But he used to, they would tell me to pray a certain way. I was like, when I was like three years old, four years old, like, how do you pray? And so I got taught by my parents how to pray, and I prayed this prayer when I was little every single day. And I think all my siblings actually prayed the same th- prayer, but it was something along the lines of, "Of uh, dear Jesus, thank you for the day. Uh, bless mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, grandma and grandpa, missionaries in the farm fields, help me sleep good. Amen. And I'm <laughs> telling you guys, I was, uh, when I was young, I got so good at praying because I could do that thing in like 1.7 seconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I did it day after day. And so I prayed for these different groups of people and uh, getting to a point here, but what I, what I would do, I would pray that same prayer over and over. And I think I was, this probably started when I was three or four years old. When I got to be, maybe it was even eight or nine or even 10 years old, I had no idea what a foreign field was. And so <laughs> it was like some kind of cornfield, but I, I wasn't quite sure. But mm-hmm. I prayed for the missionaries in the foreign field. And it was, my parents were saying the missionaries in the foreign fields but that's what I would always pray without even knowing it. And what that did for me, I, I look back on that time now, we can get into these rhythms of prayer where we're just praying so uh, fast and just like we're just rattling this thing off to check it off the list and be done with it. But when I was praying for that, we we care deeply about missionaries now and people that are lost. And so when I think about, I think about that often, like back in those days where you would just rattle off these prayers, our prayer life has changed uh, since then, and I look back at that as part of my history, like you can do that so easy, even as adults, we can do that where we just rattle off a prayer so fast, but to think about the people that we are praying for the the answer is yes i we do have people that we pray for I have people that i that I work with, people that we are that are in our lives that we 've prayed for for a long time and it 's a uh, but really to dig into uh really from a deep place in my heart where I care about these people and and uh yeah that 's a Long answer, but yeah, we do I like definitely the, I like have people.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I want to just say this too. It's so easy to go through the motions and so many of the aspects of our Christian life that we don't even realize what's happening. And if I can explain it this way, and I'll let the theologian Peter correct me if I'm wrong, but it's just my own my own perspective though that when you're going through the motions you disengage your heart. And when you disengage your heart, you disengage your faith. So I believe with everything in me that like when I'm in a worship service and I'm singing that God will bring the victory, even when I can't see it, he's working. I'm putting my flag in the ground. When I'm engaged with that song, something's changing in the spiritual atmosphere. But when I'm singing that song and running through my grocery list in my mind, there is a disconnect. doesn't mean God loves me any less. It doesn't mean I'm less saved but stuff's not happening in the spiritual realm. And I think it's very true and very much the same in our prayer life. So I don't keep lists. I consider myself an intercessor. I spend a lot, a lot of time in my prayer place. And I have a deep burden for the persecuted church, for the slaves, the traffic victims, and those kinds of things. I do have people that are like you described, Bill. But what I have learned over the years is to to keep your heart in it. And to keep your heart engaged, you got to keep it fresh. So I've done the list in the past. That doesn't work for me. So as I do in the morning, as I turn my my worship prayer list on, because I want to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, I flip that phone over so I don't see anything else on that phone. And I just worship for a little bit. And then I wait and I listen and ask God, what's on your heart today? Who can I pray for? And there's times where I make notes of people I need to text because I've prayed for them in my quiet time. And then I just, I I sometimes will pray through my, some of my memory verses, and then I just get in the word for a while. And sometimes I write in my journal things I sense he's telling me, but I keep it fresh and keep my heart in it. So one day I may spend, I mean, there's been times I've spent my whole time on my face praying for our nation, just grieving and going, oh God, have mercy. Other times I have spent my whole time praying for one of my sons and But I feel like when you're led by the Spirit, that's where the life is, and that's how you keep your heart in it. So that's just my perspective, but I'd love to know yours, Peter.
1: Well, I'm just. It just reminded me of the story, Susie, when you were talking about um, the idea of singing in prayer, and that God is moving in ways maybe you can't see. That that story of Elisha standing there on the hillside in Second Kings yeah. six, where he asks God to open up the eyes of his servant to see what's actually going on, and the servant then sees these horses and chariots of fire. And I just often wonder, gosh, if we could just see past the veil for even a minute like that in terms of what Amen. our prayers are doing in the realm of the Spirit. Yeah. I mean, I'd love for you to talk about that for a bit, that there is an actual realm of the Spirit. And in our prayers, maybe we don't understand how, but but they clearly are accomplishing something.
3: Yeah, I'll say this. Just, uh, this is a way maybe just to confirm what you're saying. Is a lot of times our, so our morning rhythm is we, we kind of spend, I don't know, a good 15, 20 minutes, half hour sometimes uh, on our own praying, and then we kind of come together. But like Susie said, we'll be listening to God during that time, and he might put someone on our heart. And it might be a family member, it might be someone we work with, it might be, you know, whatever. It might be our country, whatever it is, but we're kind of just doing that on our own. And then we come together, and the question we always ask each other is, like, what's God speaking to you this morning? And so often, uh, we are just on the same page, even though we're, we're 30 feet apart, kind of just praying, spending our time in the morning. But we come together, and so often during our time where we're praying now together— uh, God kind of puts the same, either same people or whatever on our in our mind where we're praying for that same person. It's like, it's almost, at, sometimes it's just like, it's amazing. It's like, wow, really, that's the person you're praying for? Because that's what I'm kind of thinking about this morning too.
2: You know, just to get a glimpse at the spiritual realm too, you know, I'm just, let's take a verse, James 4, 7, submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I Mm. often hear that passage quoted without the first part, just, you know, resist the devil and he will flee. Now, submit to God is a military term, and it means to get back in rank. And Mm. how do we get out of rank? By usurping authority, by nitpicking, by grudges, unforgiveness, duplicit life, where you're living one way and saying you're another, you know, a lot of ways we get out of rank. And so, you know, the enemy is a legalist. So he'll either come at you because he has legal access to you because you've given it, or he'll come at you because, You're a threat, and he wants to discourage you and derail you. So when you're when you're coming under some kind of enemy attack, I always say, search me, Lord. Is there did I give him access, or is he is there a breakthrough that's about to happen, or you Mm -hmm. want me to do something significant? So I search my heart. I submit to God's authority. You know, I think it was um, Watchman Nee who says, "You will have no authority unless you're under authority." So submit to God. So you get back in rank, get under authority, and then it says, "Resist the devil." and he will flee from you. So the Bible talks about the enemy being like a roaring lion. He's prowling around looking for who he can take out, who's let their guard down. And if you could peel back the sky and you'd see into the spiritual realm, you would see some Christians running for their lives because they don't know the authority they have in Christ. He's prowling, he's chasing, he's roaring, and they're running in fear. You would see other Christians standing, holding their ground. Now look at the rest of that verse resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And it literally translates, he will run for his life. So if you were to peel back the sky, you see some Christians running for their life and the enemy roaring, and you see others standing and holding their ground, and that enemy scurrying away, running for his life. Our spiritual battle is that real. And it's why we need to know who we are, whose we are, and the power of God's Word and the authority that he's entrusted to us.
0: Here's a question I'll throw out from a listener. How would you explain to people about praying continually, as the Bible says? Mm. Peter, you want to start with that one? It seems like that's a great question for these two. No, let's. <laughs> Susan, yeah, Kevin, come on, Peter. Yeah. I'm just trying to give Susie a break because she just got done talking. Well, so. that's
1: right. I'd be curious your thoughts. I mean, as I've wrestled around with that one, you two, it's, it's a sense of just that you're actively doing your day with God. That it isn't necessarily that you're constantly on your knees in prayer, but that you're mindful that all day long in Him we live and move and have our being. That there, that where can we go from His presence, right? As you as you referenced earlier, and and that God is is with us and to be working in a vertical and horizontal way all day long, whatever we're doing. That's exactly
3: how I feel. It's just like it's spending time with God throughout the day. And I kind of look at it like finances sometimes where, you know, God says he he owns all of it. So, yeah, we talk about tithe. We talked about that a little bit earlier. So, yeah, there's a certain portion that we need to give God. But really at the, you know, ultimately he owns it all. Everything that we do is in response to God, whether it's our finances, our time, Mm -hmm. our prayer life. So if we walk through our day like that, where we're not just clicking a box where we spent our, you know, 10 minutes in the morning praying, uh, we really walk through our day like that. We're paying attention to what he's saying to us and we're listening. Hopefully we're responding. And uh, he, he's always with us. So it's not just in our quiet prayer time in the morning. It's throughout our whole day. So that's what that feels like to me. It's just like we walk through our day. And uh, we're understanding God is always walking to with us, always speaking to us.
2: Yeah, Psalm 169 is one of my life verses, and it says, "And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth." And I just think the more you mm. get to know His heart, the more you get to know Him for who He is, the more you practice His presence. And as Peter was saying, you're so you become so aware that he's God with us. He is Emmanuel. And I just think you want to see your life change, acknowledge his presence, even when you don't feel it, even when I can't feel you, Lord, you're working, you're with me. Psalm sixteen, eight, I think it is. I know the Lord is always with me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great case for knowing the word, memorizing the word so that you know the one who breathes the word into your soul.
0: All right. Peter, do you want to go out for baby back ribs? I think that sounds good. Do <laughs> you want to join? Oh, wait. oh wait. Yeah, right got the veggie over. burgers yeah, with sure. the
2: avocado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I brought that up. My bad. No, you're such a good <laughs> <Yeah>. friend, Bill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for taking your time tonight to talk to us about prayer. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much.
2: Love and appreciate yeah. you guys. You guys. Thank Thanks you. so
0: much. Mm-hmm. Susie and Kevin Larson have been our guests for the prayer series. That wraps it up. Peter, another awesome... They're great. T- oh, yeah. Just, just, just so
1: much to take back. I, I'm definitely going to listen to that one back. There was yeah. so much that they had to offer there. It yeah. was great.
0: Thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today. It's been wonderful. Have a great night as you lay your head on that pillow tonight. Just know that God is working on his great plan in your life, and he loves you. See you tomorrow.